0: خير الهدا هدا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شَرَّ الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار. in our previous lesson we we finished the discussion of the various uh, battles of the messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم and so we saw that from the time of the هجرة uh, to Medina, to around 8th Hijra was a period in which there was the uh, aggression and the fighting and the plotting and the planning of the Quraysh along with their allies uh, from, you know, in Medina, from the Yahud in Medina and from various other tribes in different places. And so that was a period of uh, hostility and warfare. And there were certain major battles that took place in that period, the Battle of Badr, the Battle of Uhud, the Battle of the Khandak, the trench, and there was also uh, some confrontations with the the Romans and other than them. So all of that came really to a close by the eighth year of Hijra. And so this takes us now to the next stage, where basically where the Messenger and the companions, they have maintained their position and Allah has given them a victory, Allah has made them firm. And the general situation as it regards to the, to, to the Arabs, because remember there was a lot of Arabs who were basically, they weren't directly involved in what was taking place between the Quraysh, the Allies, and the Messenger ﷺ. So what they were doing is they were sitting back and they were just waiting. And so many of these Arabs they, they were observing this fierce battle that was taking place between the Quraysh and between the Muslims, and they would believe they would believe they knew themselves that it would be impossible for Allah Azzawajal or for falsehood for falsehood to be allowed to dominate Al Masjid al Haram. This was something this was a conviction that they had that as they are watching these battles taking place between between the Quraysh and uh, the Messenger and they themselves are not willing to enter either side until after they've seen who is going to come out on top because they knew that whoever is going to come out on top, it wouldn't be a person of falsehood. Because Allah would not allow a person of falsehood to take charge of al-Masjid al-Haram. So, uh, Likewise, only decades before they remember the story of uh, Abraha, the man who came from Yemen with the, uh, with the, with the elephants and he attempted to attack the Kaaba and destroy the Kaaba, and he was destroyed. And so all of this is in their mind, and they know and they believe that it will not be possible for someone of falsehood to take over this uh, masjid, to take over the Kaaba. And so, as a result, what happened is when the messenger, when he marched into Mecca, and the Meccans were humbled, and he overtook al-Masjid al-Haram, then they knew, then they were convinced that this indeed is a truthful messenger. He is indeed the messenger of Allah in truth. As soon as this happened, then slowly, bit by bit, we began to see tribes from different parts of Arabia coming and traveling to the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And then they started, and they started coming fast, thick and fast. And some of them would basically uh, enter into the religion, and slowly, in fact, large numbers of people began to enter into the religion. And so rapidly, the rule of the Messenger of Allah, it encompassed from the east of Arabia to the Red Sea in the west of Arabia, and from the borders of Sham, from the best regions of Sham, which is in, in the north in Syria, right down to uh, in, in the south uh, to Yemen and Oman. And the Prophet would basically start arranging the affairs of these, these different regions. He would send companions, uh, he would teach people, he would send callers, he would send deputy rulers. And he would collect charities and everything that the people needed for their lives to be arranged in accordance with Islam. Then he would provide the means either by way of education, by way of judges, by way of workers, and you know, he would send and delegate people to these different areas. So, this is generally what happened from the eighth year of Hijrah onwards, but specifically the ninth year of Hijrah because this was when most of this activity took place, this became known as the year of the delegations. Amul wufud The year of the delegations. And uh, the historians say that basically in this period, there were maybe around 70 delegations that came to him from different regions. And some of them say there were roughly, maybe perhaps about uh, 100. Now these delegations, they began as we said, after the conquest of Mecca, and uh, in fact, there were delegations that began to come after the Hijrah. So even after the Hijrah, there were delegations that were coming to the Messenger of Allah. But this was just really sporadically and in small amounts, but it was only after the conquest of Mecca when it really increased. And you know, in, in, in a persistent regular fashion, were people coming all the time to Medina and inquiring about Islam. Or, you know, uh, trying to have a relationship with the Messiah, even if they didn't accept Islam. So, um, now the people who came were obviously the leaders and the chiefs of the various tribes. And there were people who were people of power, people of influence, people who had authority, people whose words were listened to. These were the types of people who were coming, and sometimes there would be a man by himself. Sometimes there would be a group of men, sometimes there would be dozens of men. So all of this was, you know, uh, there was a variation of the types of people that came. Now, of all these people who came, there were some, obviously, who wanted to come and uh, they had different reasons and purposes for coming. Some of them had previously been engaged in battle with the Messenger of Allah And they had taken certain captives. So they came, and they came to return the captives. Others, because they saw that the Messenger of Allah that he was upon the truth. And so others came, um, wanted to simply to guarantee security for himself and for his tribe. So he wanted to come with some sort of arrangement with the Messenger of Allah, or some kind of security for himself, or for his people. And likewise, some of them came, and they just simply wanted to argue and to debate, and so on and so forth. Others wanted to, um, wanted to make sure that you know, they are going to give obedience, and they will pay the jizya. Right? So these are from the Ahlul Kitab, that we agree to come under your rule, we will pay you the jizya, we will obey you. So they came voluntarily, and there were others who came aspiring for Islam, they wanted to become Muslim. So they came to the Messenger of Allah, Inquiring about Islam, its pillars, its foundations, because they desired to enter into Islam wholeheartedly. And they wanted to learn the rulings of Islam. Now, every time these delegations came, and the Messenger of Allah, he would meet these delegations with a happy countenance, with noble manners, and he would uh, encourage them upon Islam, he would teach them Iman, the legislations of Islam, And so that they in turn can go back and teach their various tribes and families and whoever they came from. And um, so this was a means through which Islam basically spread to all of the desert Bedouins and the different inhabitants of the Arabian Peninsula. It basically slowly filtered out as these delegations came. They went back, they taught their people, then other people came. So basically Islam spread very quickly in this short period of uh, time. Now, uh, from all of those delegations, we have uh, maybe 10 or 15 inshallah ta'ala that we can mention. And um, most of these people who came were had good intentions, but there was a number of tribes that had evil intentions. And from those tribes were Bani Hanifa, in fact not the whole tribe, but there were individuals amongst the tribe. So one of them was Banu Hanifa, and from Banu Hanifa was a man who claimed that he was a prophet. And his name was Musaylama Al-Kaddaab. He's known as Al-Kaddaab, the liar. So he was from Banu Hanifa. and But apart from this group and maybe one other one or one other individual, all of the rest of the tribes actually came and they willingly entered into the obedience of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or they had agreements with him. So in this lesson inshallah ta'ala we want to just mention some of these delegations. um, And we'll start first of all with the delegation of uh, Abdul Qais, Wafd Abdul Qais and these people were from the eastern region of the Arabian Peninsula. And uh, they were the first people who actually entered into Islam outside of Medina and likewise, the first Masjid in which the Jum'ah was prayed aside from the Masjid of the of the messenger of allah was their Masjid and it was their Masjid <coughs> in a region which is close to Bahrain on the borders of Bahrain. so this delegation of Abdul Qais, they came they came twice in the fifth year of hijrah. there was a group of people that came fourteen of them 14 of them came uh, in the fifth year of hijrah. And they came to Medina at that time. And they saw the Prophet ﷺ. And what they did is that they tied the riding animals to the door of the mosque. And they came in order to give salam to the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. And one man amongst them was called Abdullah bin Auf al-Ashaj. And he was the youngest of them in age. And so what he did is that basically he... Um, As they came to meet the Messenger of Allah He kept himself back And he had brought some garments with him Really nice garments So he kept himself back from the rest of the people And he wore these two white garments Then he came really humble To the Messenger of Allah And uh, when he came The Messenger obviously knew from, from Revelation or From seeing this man what he had done he said, "Indeed, you have two traits. Indeed, you have two traits." So he saw what he did, and then he said, "Indeed, you have two traits, which Allah love loves, and His Messenger loves, and they are al-hilm wal-unat. Al-hilm wal-unat. Al-hilm means someone who is, um, you know, he's very uh, gentle, relaxed, and unat means someone who is very thoughtful." He is someone who is thoughtful, considerate, thinks about what he is doing, about what he is saying. So, this tribe then of Abdul Qais, when they came to the Messenger of Allah um, on the second occasion, uh, he said to them that, or in fact, he said before they actually arrived, he said to the companions that soon there will come a group who are the best of the people of the East. They have, not been in, uh, they have not been forced to enter into Islam. And they have brought their riding camels. They have used all of their provisions in the journey. Oh Allah, forgive Abdul Qais. Forgive this uh, tribe of Abdul Qais. So when they came, uh, the messenger said to them, Welcome to you without being hu- humiliated nor being remorseful. In other words, you have come and you have come. You're not remorseful nor have you been hu- humiliated. So when they came, they came to ask about the deen, and they asked about um, you know, what they should command those who they've left behind. And so the messenger of Allah commanded them with four things, which were from the foundations of the religion at that time. And they were the testimony that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah, and that Muhammad is his messenger. Secondly, to establish the prayer. Thirdly, to establish the zakah. And fourthly, to fast in Ramadan. And because hajj had not been made obligatory at this time, then obviously he did not tell them that hajj was an obligation upon them. So he also told them a number of other things. From them was that they must not drink intoxicants. They must not drink intoxicants. Um, because they used to drink a lot of intoxicants in, 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 in the East and in, from this tribe. And he also prohibited them from using the vessels in which intoxicants are made or consumed so he told them to get rid of them as well and likewise he told them that anything that from the uh, from the uh, booty that they that they have that a fifth of that must be given and then on the, the, when, the when the second delegation came from Abdul Qais there was 40 men and uh, one of them was called Al Jarud bin Al Ala Al Abdi and he used to be a Christian, and so he became a Muslim, and then he became very good in his Islam. So this is one example of the uh, tribes that came. A second example is of Dhiman uh, bin Thalaba from Bani Ibn, uh, uh, from Bani Saad. And there was a man amongst them who came, and he came to the mosque, and he asked, which of you is Ibn Abdul Muttalib? was asking for the messenger of Allah so they pointed to the messenger of Allah and the man went to him and look at the way that this man he used very obviously his manners uh, very crude manners from the desert Bedouin Arabs and he began to say oh Muhammad he began to address the messenger of Allah in this very you know, uh, unbefitting way and he said I'm going to ask you And don't withhold back from me. Answer me straight. Don't withhold anything back from me. And so the messenger said to him, Ask whatever you want to ask. So the man, he said, That your messenger came to us. A man from you came to us and he claimed that you claim that you are a messenger and that Allah has sent you. And the messenger said, Sadaq, he has spoken the truth. Then the man said, Okay, so who created the heavens? And Allah said, and and, uh, Allah's Messenger said, Allah's Messenger said, Allah did. And He said, So who created the earth? And Allah's Messenger said, Allah did. And He said, So who placed these mountains and made upon them what there is upon them? And Allah's Messenger said, Allah did. And then He said, By Him who has created the heavens and created the earth and who has affixed these mountains, has Allah sent you? And the messenger said, Naam. Now at this point, there's actually an important lesson in this narration that is taken by some of the scholars of the Salaf, like Al-Lalaka'i and um, some of the others who came after him, as-sijzi, Abu Nasr al And they use this narration as a proof to show that when the Messenger of Allah, when he called the people to believe in Allah, he called them by way of revelation. And he did not call them by using the, the, the philosophical arguments. Uh, this incident is one of those proofs that they use. That basically the proof is that when we come, come to learn the religion, the obligation to learn the religion and to know about Allah, it is obligatory to learn it by way of revelation. In other words, we know about Allah by what Allah revealed. This is the foundation. Not that we start using the intellect and reason and rational arguments to decide how Allah is and how He isn't. And what are his attributes and what aren't his attributes and how can he be and how can he not be? And so the scholars use this incident because this man, uh, when the messenger answered him each time, he said, who created this? Who created the heavens? Who created the earth? Who put the mountains? And each time the messenger said, Allah did. He never starts to give him rational arguments or philosophical arguments to start proving... Allah's existence and that he is the creator of the heavens and the earth and the mountains. He simply affirmed by way of the fitrah and by way of the revelation and so he answered them. Now the man, look at how the man accepted all of that. He said, فَبِالَّذِي al wa al jibal." He said, so by the one who created the heaven and by the one who created the earth and by the one who placed these mountains, did Allah send you And Allah's Messenger said Yes So then this man said This Messenger that came from you to us He claimed That we are obligated to pray five prayers In a day and a night And the Messenger said Sadaq He spoke the truth And then the man said So by him who sent you Did Allah command you with this? And the Messenger said yes Then he said This messenger that came to us from you, he claimed that it is obligatory upon us to give zakat, to give this obligatory charity from our wealth. The messenger said, Sadaq, he spoke the truth. And then so this man said, by him who sent you, did Allah command you with this? And he said, yes. Then he went on, he said, and this messenger who came to us from you, he claimed that upon us is to fast, The month of Ramadan, in one year of ours. The messenger said, Sadaq, he spoke the truth. And the man said, By him who sent you, did Allah command you with this? And the messenger said, Yes. Then the man said, And your messenger who came to us from you, he claimed that upon us is to make Hajj to the house for whoever has the ability. The messenger said, Sadaq, he spoke the truth. And the man said, By him who sent you, did Allah command you with this? And the messenger said, Yes. Then he turned round and he went. And the man said, as he left, he said, By him who sent you, I will not add anything to these, nor will I take anything from them. And the Prophet he said, la al Jannah, But if this man is truthful, he will indeed, he will most certainly, he will enter into paradise. So this man then went back to his uh, people. Now obviously you can see that this man was very crude, had very crude manners from the Bedouin Arabs. But you can see that the determination and the firmness with which he came and the earnestness that he had and he asked these (coughs) questions and then he held firmly to them and he went back to his people and he abandoned All of the the, the partners, the andad, the idols, and whatever else were being worshipped, then he informed his people whatever he had been commanded. And the following morning, by the following, even the following morning had not passed until there was not a single man or woman in his tribe, except that they all became Muslim overnight. And so then they all built a masjid, they built a mosque. And then they gave the adhan for the prayer. And uh, so therefore this was you know, one of the best delegations that came to the Prophet A single man, he came, accepted Islam, went back, and all of his people became Muslim. And they built a masjid and they began to establish the, the salah. Another delegation that came was Bani Asad ibn Khuzaima, And there was uh, roughly about 10 of them who came to the Messenger of Allah at the beginning of the ninth year of Hijrah. And he was in the masjid. And so they came. And they began to mention to the Messenger of Allah how they accepted Islam. They said, Ya Rasulullah, indeed we testify that Allah is alone, that there is no partner to Him. We testify that you are the Messenger of Allah. We've come to you, O Messenger of Allah. You didn't even ask us to come, but we've come to you. And we've you know, become Muslim and we didn't even fight you. And you know, like you fought other people, we didn't fight you. And you know, we... we uh, You know, uh, so they began to mention all these things. As if, almost as if, they were doing the Messenger of Allah a favor. As if their Islam was a favor to the Messenger of Allah. We are already Muslim, we didn't fight you. And we did this, we did... And so this was when the ayah was revealed in the Quran, in Surah Al-Hujurat, an Aslamu that they are kind of you know, it's as if they have a favour over you that they have become Muslim. Say to them, don't make your Islam to be like a favour to me. Balillahu an hadaakum Lil But it is Allah who has bestowed a favour upon you that He guided you to Iman. In kuntum sadiqeen, if indeed you are truthful, and so uh, they began to ask the messenger of Allah sallam about some of the things he used to do in Jahiliyyah. They used to believe in omens, they used to believe that you know when birds would fly in a certain direction and turn this way, that would be an omen. So, they used to believe in uh, uh tair and al kahana, they used to believe in fortune telling and things of that nature. And so the messenger of Allah, he prohibited them from all of this. And uh, he told them that these kind of things that involve superstition and chance and things that happen by coincidence. And all of these actions are basically things by which a person is guessing about the unknown and about the unseen. And so these people, uh, they took this on board and they remained in Medina. And then they remained and they started learning about the knowledge of the faraid the knowledge of the rules of inheritance. And eventually, after they'd stayed, then they eventually left. Now you can see that, you know, as these delegations co- are coming, you can see how the Messenger of Allah is explaining matters that relate to Tawheed, explaining matters that relate to the Ahkam, to the rulings and how this knowledge is being carried and taken and, 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 and uh, conveyed and spread. And so here in this situation, One of the points that we take from this delegation is that these affairs of chance and the affairs of superstition, you know, believing in omens, believing that a certain event is tied to some bad event that is to come. All of these things, these are things that basically are baseless and they create a suspicious, uh, fearful type of character. A suspicious, fearful type of character, and this is something that conflicts with or contradicts the fact that a Muslim ought to have his reliance upon Allah, and be fearful upon uh, be fearful with respect to Allah, and to have a strong personality, and to be able to face things that come to him whilst having patience, instead of being a fearful, suspicious paranoid type of character. Because these are some of the things that enter into the minor shirk. And so when you look at this you know the scholars who like for example, Kitab al-Tawheed, and you see that when Shaykh Al Islam, Muhammad bin al-Rahab, when he you know arranges his Kitab al-Tawheed, you see that at the beginning there are the major things like exaggerating in the righteous, uh, worshipping the dead, and you know, things of that nature. And when he deals with all of the affairs that, that are related to major shirk and major kufr, then towards the end, he starts dealing with things which are related to, like the minor shirk. And from those things which are from the minor shirk, is things like this, things which involve superstition, things which involve um, treating things to be causes of, of effects, when they are not causes of those effects. Like when a bird passes over you and goes in that direction, that has got no connection to any, anything else. And for you to start thinking those things, this is basically a deficiency in Tawheed, it is a type of minor shirk, it is an avenue towards the major shirk. And so the Messenger of Allah he cut off all of these avenues. Because a lot of these Arabs who would come before Islam in Jahiliyyah, they used to believe they were very superstitious. Their lives were governed by fortune tellers. There would be a fortune teller in the tribe. And they would go to the fortune teller. What does this mean? What does that mean? What does this mean? This happened. What does that mean? And so they would become very, very superstitious, very paranoid. And in turn, that would lead to a whole load of other evils as well. It would feed into other things as well. So the whole society was was misguided in this way. So as these people would come, these delegations, we can see like a madrasa, like a school where Islam, Tawheed, the details of Iman, the details of the Ahkam, they would come, they would acquire these, this knowledge and they would take it back with them. So this was what was what was taking place. So this uh, Bani Asad, Ibn Khuzayma, uh, they, they came. And so another delegation that came was the waft of uh, Tajib. And this is uh, a, a group, a subgroup of another qabila called Kanda. And they came with the charities that their people had given. And they came to the Messenger of Allah <laughs> and they actually bought charities. They became came, came as uh, Muslims, and the, the Messenger he basically honoured them. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu he said that no delegation has come to us from the Arab with the likes of this. None has come to us with the likes of this. Who have come with all of this from their from their people. And so the messenger of Allah says, he said, "Inna al-huda indeed guidance is in the hand of Allah. And for man arada bihi Khaira iman Anyone for whom Allah intends guidance, He will open up His chest to Iman." And so they came. This group came. They began to ask about the Quran. They began to ask about the very Sunan. They began to learn them, and then they asked permission to basically uh, leave. And um the messenger said to him, look has anyone been left behind from your tribe and they said yes we left a a child um and he's the youngest of us the uh, youth so the messenger said send him to me so the man uh, eventually came and he said look i'm from that group who came to you and you know you fulfill their need for them you help them and now please fulfill my need and so the messenger said to him well what is your need and so the man said to him, this young man said to him, I want you to ask my need upon you, is that you ask Allah, that Allah forgives me, that he has mercy upon me, that he puts richness in my heart. He puts the richness, the rina, into my heart. And he asked for these three things. And so the messenger of Allah he made dua for this young man, and um you know, this man eventually, when the messenger, when he died, and the, 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 the people of Ridda, the, the apostates began to appear, meaning those who were hypocrites and those who thought that because the messenger died, therefore now they're no longer obliged to follow Islam and to, you know, give the charity. When these people appeared, they shook a lot of people. But this man, this specific man, this young man who came to the messenger of Allah, he remained firm. And he also admonished his tribe as well. And they remained firm in this trial, in this period as well. But the point being, here, look at this man. He came to the messenger of Allah sallam, And look at, the, look at the dua, look at what he asked. This was his need of the messenger. He asked him to forgive, ask Allah to forgive him, to show mercy to him, and to put richness, to make his heart content, to be rich, to be content, not to you know, pursue the world, not to seek the world. So you can see that the people who came to the Messenger of Allah, there were some they were of various types and various characters. And you can see some of them had ulul himmah, they had a lofty concern, they had high standards. And then they became because they had high standards to begin with, then they became lofty and high within Islam itself. And that's why we you know read in, in a hadith that the best of those in Islam were the best of those who were you know, the best before before Islam or in, in, in jahiliyyah. Likewise, there came the wafd of Najran. And the wafd of Najran, Najran was a region in the south of Arabia, bordering on Yemen. And it was a, quite a large region. And there were about 70 odd, 70 odd towns or villages that made up this whole region. And, uh, There was a lot of people there. They they could muster an army of roughly maybe 100, 110,000 people. So this was quite a large region. And all of them were Christians. All of them were Christians. They were Nasara. Now the messenger of Allah, he would send letters to them, inviting them to Islam. And the people, the, the leaders of the people, they would basically read these letters and um you know they would consult with each other as to what should we do and how should they deal with this and so they eventually decided that basically to deal with this matter let us send 60 of our men let us send them to the messenger and so these 60 men came now when they came these men obviously they're not muslim they were wearing silk and they were wearing gold rings And they were basically embellished and adorned. And when they came to the messenger, of Allah, he did not speak to them. Rather, he turned away from them. And he informed some of his companions that tell them to change their appearance. Tell them to change their adornment and their beautification. So, they eventually, they took off their rings and they, you know, uh, did what they were told. And then they came to the messenger of Allah. And then he called them to Islam. And when he called them to Islam, they basically refused. They refused to become uh, Muslims. So they refused to become Muslims, and they said, they basically said, Look, we were already Muslims before you. We were already upon a religion before you. We were already submitting before you. So the Messenger of Allah he said, Indeed there are three things which have prevented you from Islam. Three things are really preventing you from Islam. Your worship of the cross. Your worship of the cross. Your consuming the flesh of the pig. And your claim that Allah has a son. These three things are preventing you from entering into Islam. So then they try to argue back. Then they basically said, well... Who is like Isa? Who is the likes of Isa? Basically, they are trying to say that Isa was born without a father. Who is there who is like him? Therefore, he must be God. This was their this was their argument, or he must be the son of God, as they were claiming. And so, here, Allah جل, He released or He revealed the verse in Surat Ali Imran, in which Allah جل, He said, "Inna mithal Isa, inna Allahika Adam." خَلَقَهُ مِن تُرَابٍ ثُمَّ قَالَ لَهُ كُنْ فَيَكُونَ Indeed, the likeness of Isa with Allah is just like the likeness of Adam. Of Adam Salam He created him from dust, and then he said to him, Be, and he was. In other words, the status of Isa is not much different to the status of Adam in terms of his creation. Because Adam was created without a mother and without a father. Whereas Isa Al Islam was created with without a father, but with a mother. But this is the likeness of Adam. He was created without a father, without a mother, from you know from from uh, from dust, and Allah said, Be and he was. This is how he is. So this was a refutation of their claim that who is like Isa? Who is like Isa? And then the ayah continues or the passage continues Al Haqkumir Rabbik, Fala taqum min al Mumtareen. The truth is from your Lord, so do not be of those who doubt. Famanja Akafihim Bahdi Faman Faman Hajaka Faman Hajaka Fihim Badi Majakaminal Anyone who tries to dispute with you about this after this knowledge has come to you, Fakul Ta'alu, say to them, Come, come. Nadu أَبْنَاءَنَا وَأَبْنَاءَكُمْ wa وَنِسَاءَكُمْ wanisaana wanisaakum wa anfusana wa anfusakum. ثُمَّ فَنَجْعَلْ لَعْنَةَ اللَّهِ عَلَى So anyone who argues with you after this, say to them, come, bring your children, we'll bring our children, bring your women, we'll bring our women, bring yourselves and we'll bring ourselves, then we will invoke the curse of Allah upon whoever is the liar. In other words, If you are truthful, bring all your people, bring your children, your families, your tribes, come, let let us stand here. And let us both invoke the curse of Allah upon those who lie. Whoever is telling a lie that Isa is the son of Allah, that, you know, and all of the various claims that they have, may he be cursed who tells a lie. And um, the messenger recited this ayah to them when it was revealed. And he called them to the Mubahala. This is the in, you know inviting them for a, for a mubahala which invoking the curse, and then they asked him okay let us just uh, discuss so they discussed this issue between themselves and they said amongst themselves they said look if this man is a prophet, if this man is truly a prophet and we enter into this mubahala this invoking the curse, then not not anyone amongst us will remain except that will perish. So, they decided that we will be happy to obey you and give you the jizya. So they still did not become Muslim. But they agreed to give the jizya and enter into the protective uh, custody or guarantee of the Messenger of Allah. So they agreed upon the terms of that and uh, they were given protection and security. They were given freedom in their religion as well. They were free to practice their religion as well. And then they asked uh, the Messenger of Allah to send with them a man who is trustworthy, to go with them back to the, to the, the south of Arabia, uh, to the region of Najran. And so the Messenger of Allah sent Abu Ubaidah bin Al-Jarrah, and this is why he was known as the Amin, the trustworthy one of the Ummah, because they asked the Messenger to send a trustworthy man with them. So, when they returned back to Najran, one or two of them became Muslim, and then slowly Islam began to spread amongst them bit by bit over time, until eventually a large number of them eventually became Muslim. Now from this issue here of uh, Najran, we can see that the... Because if you remember earlier as well, when the Messiah came to Medina, he made a treaty with the inhabitants of Medina amongst which were the Yahud. And he allowed them, he affirmed for them their religion, as in that you are free to practice your religion. And likewise, here we see that at the end, like in the year of delegations towards the end of his prophethood, there came the Nasara, the Christians. And likewise, he basically gave them freedom to practice their religion. And so there's an issue here now, which is that we see this claim being made that, you know, Islam uh, does not tolerate other religions and Islam is um, harsh and this and whatever. But really, if you really think about it, if you think about it, Islam gives more freedom to these people to practice their religion because Islam does not interfere in their laws and their lifestyles and their regulations. Right? So, for example, the Yahud are free to judge how, however they wish amongst themselves in everything, in all of their affairs. Unless they agree, obviously, to come to judgment to the messenger, in which case it's binding upon them. But if they don't, then they are free to rule and judge by their own law. Likewise with the Nasara. This is how it is. This is how Islam allows those who give the jizya, and it's also the view of other scholars, that the, the majus, they, uh, are like the Ahlul Kitab, and even others say that the jizya can be taken from anyone, even from the mushrikun. So the point being that if we if we look at this look at it from that point of view then Islam is more tolerant of these religious minorities than the so-called so-called secular you know uh, secularism that we see being claimed today in certain you know uh, societies and countries where they claim that we are you know liberal and advanced and whatever we are liberal but you have to abide by our laws you have to say that this is right and this is wrong. Huh? So they basically a claim to have freedom and, and liberalism, but you know when you think about it, it really isn't. It's either well you have to accept our values, or basically you are a, well you are an extremist. Whereas with Islam, you see the the, 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 the with Islam. Islam is that the point of The central point of interaction is al adal, is justice. We have to be just in our behavior with every other person. We might not agree with what they believe. We might, you know, we hold that what you're believing is batil, it is kufr, it is shirk. But we have been ordered to deal with justice. So, therefore, with like Islamically, with these minorities who live, who have the complete freedom to practice their religion, are the Yahud, the Nasara the majus, and they can judge by the law, they can do whatever they want. The asal is that you will be dealt with, with justice, with al-adal. We are not going to impose things upon you. You are free to believe your beliefs. Because you've agreed, agreed under those terms. But we're not going to impose anything upon you, that means you must hold our values, things like this. So you can see that from, from that consideration, the sharia is actually more uh, kind and generous to religious minorities than the claim of the secularists, as they say today. This is a reality, and so these are things that you know we should be aware of, and we shouldn't, um, you know. All of these things they claim about the Sharia being unjust and barbaric. All of this is from their jahl, because they are a la they, they don't understand. They do not have. They don't understand, and so we shouldn't be uh, scared. Uh, or on the back foot when it comes to these issues we say no that the Sharia of Islam is just and it is fair and it is uh, uh, it it is uh, mercy for his servants mercy for Allah's servants and just because there are a bunch of evil uh, extremist ignorant people who go around shouting the Sharia and Islamic law they don't represent the actual Sharia because they are just ignorant. they are khawarij they are extremists they are you know people who don't understand that the foundation of, of Islam let alone speak about the about, about the sharia so anyway this is a point that comes from the fact that uh, these christians came uh, they gave they were given guarantee they were given security they were given al hurriya uh, in in their rel- to practice their religion for them because they came under the uh, you know islamic uh, protection and so this was Banu, this was the delegation of najran then there was a delegation from taif from the city of Ta'if. And um, now in Ta'if, the people in Ta'if, the Mesut he actually used to call them to Islam previously. But they were not prepared to accept Islam because they were performing certain sins that they couldn't let go of. So they even asked the Messenger of Allah they said, look, will you allow us to continue drinking alcohol? Will you allow us to basically commit fornication, to commit zina? Will you allow us to take interest? Meaning that we'll accept Islam, but we'll accept Islam on this condition. Allow us to you know, consume alcohol, allow us to commit fornication, allow us to basically consume riba. And don't destroy this idol that we have, Allah, don't destroy it. And you know we don't really want to be pre- so. Basically, they wanted they put all these conditions, and uh, now the messenger of the he rejected all of these uh, requests from them, and uh, uh, he, they they basically accepted Islam eventually. But they made the condition that they themselves will not destroy the idol of Allah. The messenger should send someone to destroy the idol of Allah, and so. Ta'if was a tribe of Thaqif, if you remember the the, the, the Thaqif who basically expelled the Messenger of Allah. And uh, eventually, uh, there was a. Amongst this tribe was a man, was a young man by the name of Uthman bin Abil As al Thaqafi. And he was a young man. And he used to basically secretly travel to the Messenger of Allah and learn the Quran without telling his people. And, um, If he saw the messenger to be asleep, he would go to Abu Bakr and he would you know, memorize much of the Qur'an, but he wouldn't tell his companions, he wouldn't tell the people of his tribe. Now, when they all eventually became Muslim from Al-Ta'if, he put that boy or that young man in charge over them, over those people. And so he then eventually taught them the Qur'an and he taught them uh, the religion. But in that period, he basically concealed his Iman. He concealed... His faith. And he would also put fear into them against fighting against the Messenger of Allah. So he basically played his role as a, as a believer, concealing his iman and basically making them hold back and be faithful from engaging in any combat with the Messenger of Allah. And you know, Allah put fear into their hearts and at one stage they were prepared to actually fight the Messenger. Why? Because they were not prepared to let go of alcohol, committing fornication you know, dealing in riba and other things. So, fear was put into their hearts, and they decided not to. And um, eventually, they became Muslim on those terms. And uh, Khalid bin Al-Walid and Al-Muhir bin Shu'bah, they were sent eventually by the Messenger of Allah to destroy the idol of Allat. So they destroyed it and they removed its foundations. Now also another point from this particular delegation that we can pick out from this is that sometimes some people, now Hamza, the, 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 the Thaqif, they eventually accepted Islam, but there are some people you see that they know the messenger is true, they know the Quran is true, but are, the attachment to the dunya is preventing them from Islam. It is hawa, hawa. It is they cannot let go of alcohol, they cannot, cannot let go of fornication. They cannot let go of you know whatever possessions they have or things that come in between them and between Islam. Some, some of them were dealing in the riba. They made wealth. They had riches on the basis of riba. And because they knew that all of that would be lost, they were not prepared to enter into Islam. Now, this shows to us that Islam This is a refutation of the The murji'ah. Islam is not merely just to believe that the messenger is truthful and that the Qur'an is indeed the word of Allah. Just affirming those beliefs does not make you a Muslim. Because there are many of those who are disbelievers, they know that Muhammad is indeed a messenger of Allah. And they know the Qur'an is a revelation from Allah. They know it. There are many who will tell you this from the Yahud, from the Nasara, from even, uh, you know, the, 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 from others. But there is something that's holding them back from accepting Islam. And that's why it could be, and that's why as the scholars say, there are some who basically aspire for the world. They will lose the world if they follow Islam, because it means you have to give up a riba, you have to give charity, you have to this, you have to that. Some of them fear that they will lose their status they will lose their status their, their their authority their standing within the society others fear that their families their tribes their people will scorn them and ridicule them others fear that they will dishonor their past their ancestors and you know so all of these things we can see that it's not that they do not know that the messenger is truthful and that the Quran is indeed the speech of Allah they know this but there are certain things that come in their hearts. So they have tasdeeq Tasdiq is to know that the messenger is truthful and that the Qur'an is truthful and is from Allah. But then there is something that comes between this tasdik and between inqiyad. Inqiyad means to comply. To accept that one is obliged to follow the messenger in one's you know, behavior and deeds and so on and so forth. So tasdiq, should naturally, If you know that the Messenger is true and that the Qur'an is true, it will naturally lead you to make inqiyad. Inqiyad is compliance. It will cause you to comply and to obey. But then there are certain things that come in between those two things. So there is tasdeeq, that belief is there in your heart that the Messenger is true, that the Qur'an is true. But then the desire, aspiration for the world, fear of one's parents, of one's tribe, fear of losing one's authority, fear of losing one's wealth. All of this now comes in front, or it, sometimes it is arrogance. You are too arrogant to accept that you need to prostrate on the ground five times a day, and that you need to raise your hand to ask Allah for your sustenance and things like that. You're too arrogant. Or you are too arrogant, you are too proud that you that, you, know, you don't want to follow an Arab, an Arab prophet. Because of arrogance, because you are allegedly a chosen race or something along those lines. Arrogance, right? So this can be envy and jealousy, not wanting to follow because of envy and jealousy. All of these are different things that can come in between a man, a, a man's tasdeeq, his knowledge, and between the, inkaya, the, the 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 natural compliance that should come. And that's why disbelief is of many different types there's a disbelief of arrogance, that someone who is arrogant, he knows everything. Like, you know, like uh, Fir'aun, they know the truth, but pure arrogance prevents them. And there are others who are inclined to the dunya, they just can't let go of, you know, the, 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 the food, like the, like the pork for example. And we've met, we've met, I've met people like this, you know, who, are on the verge of becoming Muslim. And when you tell them, what's stopping you from becoming Muslim? You say, well, this is, uh, there's some things that I won't be able to handle. You know, I can't leave the pork, I can't leave the women. And, you know, this is... And that stops them from entering into Islam. Right? It is Hawa. It is Hawa. It is the dunya. Something cheap, perishing, that they sacrifice for an everlasting, you know, uh, life. So the point being from this is that, that we take from this... Uh, this particular uh, incident here, is that people have many reasons for not accepting Islam, and from those things is that they feel the loss of things that they are accustomed to and habitual to, from the indulgences that they had in the life of this world. And how Allah saves this one individual from amongst them, the youth, the young man, the righteous young man, who was a believer, and he would travel to the messenger of Allah s.a.w. to Abu Bakr and to learn the Qur'an from them. And he concealed his iman. And he would put fear into their hearts from waging war against the messenger. And so as a result of that, you see the goodness that came, he was eventually made a ruler over them. And all of them eventually became uh, Muslim uh, at the end. Um, there were many other delegations. There is the Bani Amir. Um, I won't go into all of the details. I think I'll mention the Banu Hanifa. Abu Hanifa was a tribe who came in the ninth year of Hijrah. There were 17 men who came. And amongst them, it is said, was Musaylama al kadhab Musaylama al kadhab the false prophet. And so they came to one of the houses of the Ansar. Then they came to the Prophet ﷺ. They they all became Muslim, except for Musaylama. And it is related that he said that... um, Basically, it's claimed in some narrations that he actually did become a Muslim, but uh, in other narrations it said, no, he didn't actually turn up, he wasn't there at the gathering. And it's also said that he said that if Muhammad makes me in charge after him, only then will I follow him. So in other words, this man was after power. He was after power. And this in fact tells you about the reality of all of the false prophets. There are many false prophets who've come after the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Even in this time of ours, where we have all of these false prophets from amongst the Christians, from amongst the you know the Qadiani and other people. And so you see that these people are really motivated by worldly affairs, they're after power, they're after things like that. And that's why they claim to be, or they make this false claim to being a prophet. But this man Musaylama, he basically said, if Muhammad gives me power after him, then I will follow him. And... Uh, It is said that the messenger of Allah, he saw in a dream that two the treasures of the earth had come to him And amongst these treasures were two gold bracelets And when he put these bracelets on It was revealed to him that he should take them off and throw them away And so he took them off and he threw them away And it was revealed to him, or it was, you know, the interpretation of this was that these two gold bracelets recommended two, uh, uh, w- sorry, represented two liars. There were two liars. Right? So look at the dream. The dream is that the treasures of the world have been opened up to him. This is basically a reference to the fact that people are becoming Muslim from all sorts of directions and places and coming to him and they're bringing sadaqa and things like this. So the treasures have been opened to him. But from them, well, all these treasures are two bracelets that he was ordered to take off, which he saw in his dream. And these two bracelets were representing two liars. So the first of them, of those liars, was Musaylama. He was one of those bracelets. And it is said that Musaylama came to the Messenger of Allah, and he had, you know, uh, the Prophet had a like a leaf in his hand. And the the Thabit bin Qais was with him, and this Musaillam came, and Musaillam basically said that you know uh, if you know if uh, you know there's some uh, basically a discussion uh, took took place, and he started to debate and argue, and eventually the message of Musaillam he said to him that basically I only see you, I see you in like in a vision that you will come to a a, a bad end. And I'm not going to speak to you. He is Thabit bin case. He will speak to you. So anyway, eventually he uh, went. And afterwards, this man, he basically claimed that, you know, he was made a prophet along with the messenger that he shares with the messenger in prophethood. And he claimed to be a prophet. And then he basically began to make things halal upon his people that alcohol is halal and zina is halal. And so he basically put his people to trial. And this continued after the messenger of Allah, He passed away, Musaylimah was uh, after, after his time. And he just basically increased his people in trials, and eventually Abu Bakr anhu, he sent the armies to them, he sent Khalid bin al-Walid, and so some wars basically took place between them, some severe wars between them and between Musaylimah and his armies. And Musaylimah was killed and most of his army was killed, his fitna was put an end to, and you know this is the end of the story of Musaylama. And likewise we see that the Messenger of Allah sent uh, some of the companions to the south again towards Yemen, to the kings of Yemen. He sent uh Mu'ad bin Jabal, the famous, you know, the famous hadith in Nakatati. Uh, that they, indeed you will come to a people. Ahl uh, Kitab, they are from Ahlul Kitab, that the first thing you call them to be, and you wahidu Ta'ala, and that they single out Allah, and you know, then they establish the pillars. So this is Mu'adh bin Jabal sent to the Yemen, and likewise Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, likewise he was sent to, in the direction of, in the southern parts towards Adan, and those places. Uh, so, so this was the sending of the companions, and we also have the, we'll come finally to the, Uh, The final example which is a man by the name of uh, Al-Asad, Al-Anasi, Al-Unasi. This is another false prophet and he was a man who basically um, was in the south and he had about 700 people with him. Basically he claimed that he was a prophet as well and that the affair was in his hand. And so basically he came to Sana'a, he occupied Sana'a in Yemen and then again his affair increased and his fitna increased his kingdom basically it began to grow and um, eventually the Muslims who were in that region had to conceal their iman even because this man gained a lot of strength and power and he developed a small little kingdom and um, for three or four months the Muslims had to basically hide themselves so eventually uh, some uh, the Muslims they came um, and they fought against him and they killed him and you know, in his fortress, and he was defeated, and again, Islam was given strength and uh, the delegates of the messenger of Allah, they came back and they informed the messenger of Lassom that they were victorious and that they had killed him and the messenger of Allah, he himself informed that this man had been killed even before the letters came to him from Yemen because he received that by way of revelation. So this were, th- these were some of the main events are many others, but you know, for brevity, these are the ones that we can mention. So we can see here clearly that the ninth year of Hijrah was the year of the delegations. People came in hordes and hordes from different directions accepting Islam. And because of these delegations, when they went back slowly, the Arabs, the desert Arabs, they began to accept Islam. And even some of the uprisings that we saw, from Musaylim al Kadhab and Al-As- this al Aswad, uh, they were put down, they were destroyed, and um, you know Islam remains strong. And so, this brings us an end to this period of time, and this now brings us to the final year where we come to the final pilgrimage. And inshallah ta'ala, we will uh, look at that in the next lesson. Uh, and with that, we'll conclude our lesson today. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين